The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. With the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There's a brand new website causing a lot of trouble for people with something to hide. Have you ever had a bad feeling about somebody? Suspected a partner of cheating? Worried about your online reputation? If you answer yes to any of those questions, you may need Truthfinder. Truthfinder may reveal court records, bankruptcies, contact information, social, dating profiles, assets, and a lot more. You get it all in one easy-to-read report. Why fork out thousands of dollars to a private eye when you can do the job yourself? Go to truthfinder.com nancy and enter any name to get started. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on Sirius XM Triumph, Channel 132. Today is a day that is bittersweet all across our nation. It's Missing Children's Day. And while we are encouraged and heartened that people care, that we are rallying the forces across the country to try to find missing children, the fact that we have to have a day of remembrance, a day of reinvigorating the troops, so to speak, cast a pall over each one of these children's stories. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us. Before we address missing people, we have a news alert. A little boy that we have been trying to help find has just been found. The body of five-year-old Lucas Hernandez has been found in Harvey County. Harvey County, Kansas. Listen. Our deputies were dispatched here on the report of a, a found body, and 
when we arrived, there's a body underneath the bridge up there. It appears to be a, a small human, and it's but it's it's unrecognizable. Nancy, that was Harvey County Sheriff Chad Gay speaking to reporters as they were recovering the body. It was a short time later. The state investigators confirmed that the remains are Lucas Hernandez. Shortly after that, Emily Glass, the 27-year-old stepmom of Lucas, the last one to allegedly see him, was booked into the Sedgwick County Jail on charges of interference with law enforcement, and the investigation goes on. To Ashley Wilcott, childcrimewatch.com, this is not the outcome we wanted, Ashley, but I cannot say that I'm surprised that evil stepmother could lead authorities to the body. And this is not the outcome we wanted, but the good news is we can now have closure in terms of knowing where he is, and we can utilize the crime scene and the evidence to find who did this. Someone threw away this poor little boy in shallow water by a small bridge in the brush as if he were trash. What can we learn at this point? Joseph Scott Morgan, forensics expert, Jacksonville State University, professor of forensics, Joe Scott, Lucas's little body has been there for a period of time. What can we learn from it regarding forensic clues? Well, hopefully what we're going to learn is specifically what his cause of death was. And also what I want to know is how long has he been deceased? Uh, his Lucas wants to talk to us, Nancy. He wants to talk to us through his remains and what we can find at the scene. I want us to give him voice so we can truly bring this to closure and bring whoever's responsible for this to justice. Truer words are never spoken, Joe Scott. And I got to tell you, Joe Scott and Ashley, my arms are just covered in chill bumps right now because if this case had been handled properly and Lucas had been taken away out of that home, he may be with us today. For so long, Lucas was described as a missing child, which highlights the importance of today, National Missing Children's Day. And now, let's bring more children home, alive. I could not be prouder to have the guests joining us today. Mark Class, crime victim, tireless victims advocate, and founder of Class Kids. Daphne Young, the VP of Communications and Prevention Education at Child Help. And with me, Director of the Cold Case Research Institute, Cheryl McCollum, along with Alan Duke and Jackie Howard. So many cases of missing children. It's like an avalanche. Every day, Mark Class, more missing children. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by it? Well, it is overwhelming. Over 2,000 children are reported missing in the United States every day. And while the vast majority of those are successfully resolved, there are still those cases that endure, that just seem to fall down the sinkhole and and leave parents stranded. You know, Mark Class, you are just um, an icon to me. And when I am tired and I am weary, I think about you and how you gave up a very lucrative career to become a victim's advocate and the founder 
of class kids. Could you explain why you made that hairpin turn in life? Well, thank you, Nancy. Yes, yeah, so on October 1st, 1993, my 12-year-old daughter, Polly, was hosting a slumber party with a couple of her girlfriends in the home that she shared with her mother in Petaluma, California. And at about 10.30 in the evening, a bearded stranger entered Polly's bedroom with a butcher knife and told the girls that if they made a noise, he would cut their throats. Uh, he then proceeded to tie and bind all of the girls and then steal Polly into the night. And we searched for 65 days only to find that this recidivist violent offender had kidnapped, raped, and murdered Polly um, within a two-hour period. And he, he, can, he, he currently resides on California's death row 25 years later. And I decided at that point that I was not going to let my daughter's death be in vain. I was not going to let her become another uh, data point on a statistical pie chart, and that I would try to create a legacy in her name that would be protective of children for decades to come. And quite frankly, at that time, there was very, very little being done uh, on, on being done to benefit missing children. You know, Mark, it is not lost on me the way you tell that story because you, you say it like you're reporting somebody else's story. And when people ask me about the murder of my fiance, I do much the same thing because I tell the story by rote because to think about it and recount that time in my life is just so painful. But when I hear you tell the story of Polly going missing... Listen to me. I'm crying for you. You may not be crying on the outside, but I'm crying for you right now. And if you would just mention the pain of those 65 days not knowing what happened to Polly. Well, I mean, that's that's the point, Nancy. You have to detach. You have to detach because it's so emotionally overwhelming. I mean, I spent a good decade wanting to die. I really did. It took me a good 10 years to be able to pull myself together and really smell the flowers and appreciate music again. Those 65 days were the most excruciating time I've ever experienced. I lost 30 pounds. I lost my mind. I, 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 uh, I, I, I fell into a sinkhole. I fell into a, a, it was like being in the middle of a tornado and not being able to to get a grasp on anything you lose control of your emotions of your intellect uh you you almost seemingly lose your soul but look what you've done with your life with me in addition to mark class founder of class kids is daphne young with child help daphne thank you so much for being with us what is child help and why is there a child help well nancy we're the largest national nonprofit. we've been uh running for over 60 years now, and we're dedicated to the treatment, intervention, and prevention of child abuse. And you know our founders, Sarah and Yvonne, uh, you're one of their favorite people because you're one of the few consistent, dedicated champions of children, giving a voice to those silenced by abuse. As Mark Class notes, this whole issue rarely gets prime time. Children don't have a powerful lobby. So People like child help, people involved in media have to stand up for these kids. They have no voice. 
and they're being lost in the system. They're being abused. We're losing five children each day to abuse, and 80% of those fatalities involve at least one parent. So your work has been crucial in not just taking on this issue, but you've branded it in a way that people can talk about it as part of a national conversation, and that's so critical. Cheryl McCollum with me. You and I have dealt with so many crime victims, and like with Mark, it took 65 days to find Polly. The cases we're about to start talking about right now are still unsolved. Families still torn apart by not knowing where their child is. Has a fan, somebody stolen them? Are they being raised? Or have they been on the black market? Or have they been trafficked? Are they dead? Do they need me? The thought of my children needing me or crying for me is almost more than I can stand, Cheryl. And you deal with cold cases. We call them cold every day, but they're not cold to family members. Absolutely. Nancy, when you hear Mark talk, I mean, you just, it's paralyzing to think of that situation. But the reality is what he was saying, that statistic, it breaks down to over 80 children an hour go missing. Now there's three types of kidnapping, basically, in three categories. One's going to be family that takes the child, one that will be an acquaintance, and one that's stranger. And when that breaks down, 50 times, you know, 50% of the time, it's going to be a family member. Um, and hopefully that child comes back safely, hopefully. Um, but 24% of the time, to feed on what Mark was saying, that's going to be a stranger. And those first three hours are the most critical. The child is normally killed in those first three hours. I want you first talk about the disappearance of a beautiful little boy. I will never, ever forget the first time I laid eyes on Kyron Horman, still missing out of Portland, Oregon. He's described as endangered and missing. The first time I saw his face, he had this big, huge smile with a gap tooth grin and he was last seen in portland oregon on june 4 he usually rode the bus to skyline elementary he was just in the second grade at that time now that day his stepmother terry lynn moulton horman drove him because there was a science fair that day and he kyron wanted to set up his exhibit it was about the red eyed tree frog they get there around eight o'clock they drop his coat and backpack at the classroom, and according to the stepmother, she takes him to the science fair. And then the next thing you know, nobody sees him. That afternoon at 345, he doesn't arrive home. Nobody seemed to have seen him at the school that morning. Now, one witness thinks they saw him, but we're maybe confused about the day. His teacher marked him absent. She thought, for some reason, he was at a doctor's appointment. Why was it so critical, Mark Class, that all these hours had passed since Kyron was last seen at 8 a.m.? Well, Cheryl just touched on it. Uh, 74% of children that are murdered as a result of an abduction 
are going to be dead within the first three hours. So on the one thing that everybody can agree is that time is really the enemy when you're dealing with a missing child case. As soon as they're discovered missing, they need to be reported to law enforcement immediately so that they can start an investigation. And the sooner that happens, the greater the chance of recovering the child alive. Take a listen to this TV news interview regarding Kyron's disappearance. Eight-year-old Tanner Pomala remembers passing Kyron in the school hallway Friday morning as the two passed each other on the way to see different science experiments. I went downstairs, and that was the last time I saw him. I never did see him after that. Tanner and Kyron's class was regrouping. Mrs. Porter, the regular teacher, accompanied by a substitute there to help with the science fair. It was the substitute, says Tanner, who noticed Kyron was missing. And she's like, oh, no, where's Kyron? There's only five. And Mrs. Porter's like, um... It's, she, it's all right, calm down, calm down. She's probably in the bathroom or getting a drink of water. She's like, all right, I'm going to leave. And she left. You normally start Daphne Young with the person to have last seen the child alive. That's where your investigation starts. In this case, it was the stepmother. Would you agree that that's where investigations normally start, Daphne? Absolutely. You have to look at the people closest to the child. For a parent that has done nothing wrong, it can be most one of the most frustrating experiences they'll ever go through because they know in their heart they haven't done anything and they feel that clock ticking. Law enforcement needs to divvy up. They need to go uh, the broad range and also then to the parent because 80%, as I mentioned, of those fatalities involve at least one parent. So they've got to move towards who knows the child, who has access to the child, the last person that saw the child while doing a larger broad-scale investigation. When a child goes missing, it should be all hands on deck. You're not kidding. And I, I recall distinctly, Mark Klass, when Polly went missing, and I use you as the gold standard whenever a child goes missing, you were basically, here, take my fingerprints, take my DNA, whatever you need, search my home, search my computer, search whatever you want, look at my car, so you can get past me as the dad of Polly and move on to find who took my daughter. See, that's what I expect from family members when their child goes missing. I expect them to act like you. Well, that's exactly right, although we didn't have computers yet in 1993, or at least I didn't, but you're absolutely (laughs) right. You have a momentary... uh, a sinking feeling that that and this is a problem you always hear defense attorneys say you can't take a polygraph because they can't be relied upon and a lot of people take that as gospel so you'll find innocent people that are very reluctant to take a polygraph exam because they think that they're somehow going to get caught up in a lie and uh, unfortunately, that really stalls a lot of these cases. Not in my case. I was ready to go for it. I wanted to be eliminated immediately so they could move on and find out what happened to my little girl. Kyron Horman, still missing today. Now, take a listen to the stepmother that drops him off at school that day, according to her. She speaks to Dr. Phil. I was told not, I was following orders. I'm doing what I'm told to do because I want him found. They're saying do it a certain way. And I did everything I was ever asked to do. I spoke openly for hours on end with investigators, open book, told them every horrible little dirty secret I ever had in my life, anything that was going to help to find him, anything. I didn't care, it's, it, but I could see how if somebody's not on the inside of what's going on, how they could, could see it a different way. But I, I did everything I was supposed to do, and it still wasn't good enough. And everything gets twisted and turned, 
and it is it became this um, just this attack against me instead of the focus of being him. I, after I retained an attorney, then I was told not to talk. And I asked him to talk for me, and he wouldn't. That was Karen's stepmother on Dr. Phil. She's recently remarried straight out to Cheryl McCollum, director of the Cold Case Research Institute. There was just another search for any clues regarding the disappearance of little Kyron. It was in West Hills, and we know that something had to trigger that search, Cheryl. Normally, Nancy, it could be anything from a tip. Somebody walking through that area could have found something they thought was related, uh, you know, to this child. But here's the deal. Every stone unturned on every case, you, you should not stop searching. So I have an issue with, hey, we're going to do another search now, even though we haven't done one in a year or two. Um, there should be searches every weekend. You should take dogs that are being trained at the academy to be a canine. Let them train, but do a real search while they're training. Well, you know what I find very, very telling, Cheryl McCollum, is that this search that just went down for Kyron Horman, the seven-year-old little boy that goes missing allegedly at the Skyline School in northwest Portland, the search was the wooded areas around his home. Uh, they also then went to his school. That's the most recent search. They were looking around his home and school. And that tells me what they have going on in their head, what investigators are thinking, Cheryl McCollum. Well, there's no question, Nancy. But again, the last person to see him, everything about her would make you question her. The fact that she says she takes him somewhere, but his teacher says, yeah, he never made it. He wasn't here. So there's no way you drop your children off at school every day, Nancy. They're three feet from the door when they get out of your van. Nobody came and swoops in and gets a child there with six teachers and safety patrols and a principal and all these parents standing there. That's BS. You know that didn't happen. We also know, Cheryl, that the Multnomah County DA's office has impaneled a grand jury on the Kyron Horman case. And that means both the criminal investigation and legal proceedings are still underway but where that's leading, we don't know. Nancy, can I say something here? Yeah, jump in, Mark. Uh, I, I'm sorry. About three years ago, we were working with Chiron's mother to do a, a search for Chiron. Um, just as Cheryl said, you always have to continue to do these searches. And one of the places that she asked us to search was the father's property, the place where Chiron lived, uh, Kane Horman. And so I called Kane because I knew him, and I told him what we were doing and asked him if we could – uh, come on to his property and search for Chiron, and he said, absolutely not. No way in hell was he going to let us onto his property. And I said, well, if, you know, we're professionals, we do this all the time. If there's not a problem, wh wh why won't you let us on? And he said, if the deputies, if the law enforcement ever wants to come onto our property, I'm more than willing to do it, but I'm not letting anybody else onto my property, which leads to the question, if they just did a search around the property, are they honing in on something, and has anybody actually ever searched on the property itself? Well, it, you know what? It, it's awfully late to be asking. It's a shame that we're asking, Mark. Have they searched that property? Don't, don't you think they would have at the time, Mark, or do you think something was missed? No, I think they should have, and I can't imagine that they haven't, but those, that was the conversation I had with him, and he was adamant. 
We were not getting onto that property. Okay, okay I find that very odd. Yes, jump in. Here's the deal. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if you've got a parent that has a child missing and they won't let you search their property, that is beyond a red flag. That is a freaking parade of flags. This is what we know. No one has been named a suspect. No one has been named a person of interest at this time. Why the father turned down Mark Class? Maybe he's frustrated. Maybe he's angry. Maybe he's numb. Maybe he's raw. I don't know. I do know this. The search goes on for Kyron Horman. There's a $50,000 reward. The search tip line, 503-988-0560, 503-988-0560, or email tips at bringkyronhome.org. Did you know about a recent law that could leave your personal data exposed online for anybody to find? If you've turned on the news lately, you know the Internet has created a dangerous new world. Data breaches expose private information. There's a new cybersecurity threat every other day. And criminals can sell the identity of you and your family on the dark web. It's time you take the power back by using a new website called Truthfinder. Truthfinder allows you to find out exactly what information exists about you online. Have you gotten a speeding ticket? Received a lien from the IRS? Forgotten about an embarrassing social media profile? Truthfinder searches through millions of public records, puts all that data together in one easy-to-read report. Members get unlimited searches, so you can also look up those close to you and make sure they're not hiding something from their past. You also get free dark web monitoring to make Truthfinder the ultimate tool in identity protection. If your personal info appears for sale on the dark web, you'll be the first to know. Visit truthfinder.com slash nancy. Enter your own name. Get started. Today is National Missing Children's Day, and we are doing our part trying to find missing children from across our country. We now leave the Pacific Northwest and head to Chicago, where two little girls, 10-year-old Tionda and 3-year-old Diamond, go missing, we think, from their own apartment the morning of July 6th. Tracy, the girl's mom, tells cops she saw them that morning at 6.30 a.m. before she left for work at Robert Taylor Park. She prepares lunches there for children in the summer camp program. She got back home early in the afternoon to find a note written by Tionda placed on the back of a couch that said they had gone by to a school, a school playground very close by, and that they would go to, like, the local 7-Eleven. Well, the mom then tells a Tribune that she searched for hours that day before she calls the police at 6.30 p.m. that night. That sparked a massive investigation. Daphne Young with me uh, with Child Help. Mark Class, founder of Class Kids, and Cheryl McCollum, director of the Cold Case Research Institute. Daphne I recall distinctly when Diamond and Tionda went missing. As a matter of fact, we took our show then with uh, CNN's HLN on the road to Chicago to investigate their disappearance. Daphne, what do you recall of the girls' disappearance? Well, I just remember it was a massive search. There were uh, rotating crews. There were hundreds of detectives working around the clock. They searched everywhere, uh, sewers, lagoons, abandoned buildings, factories. 
people were digging through garbage. Uh, they were interviewing relatives. It was a huge search. And rumors spread around the neighborhood. There were tips, uh, I believe, uh, close to 1,000. Um, there were even psychics involved. I mean, this, this captured the nation. I think you had these two little girls with these captivating names. And they were doing what so many children do, the most banal things, right? Going supposedly disappearing from a neighborhood playground. Uh, when children are doing the things children are supposed to do and something wicked or evil happens, it really captures the nation because we think they were just trying to play or they should have been out playing. Where are these little girls? You know, the theories on Diamond and Tiana's disappearance abounded. Mark Glass, I remember one psychic uh, told the family they were being held as sex slaves in Illinois somewhere. Then, as I recall, the bio dad lived in another country. Um, it was either Trinidad or Morocco. One, I can't. It was Morocco. Jackie's waving at me. And there was the theory that the dad had kidnapped the girls. That was investigated. It it neither amounted to anything. So. Even bringing in psychics, Mark Class, what does that tell you, that police are down to bringing in psychics? Well, it tells me that the police are absolutely desperate. You're absolutely correct. This became an international search. Um, in Chicago, they searched 5,000 abandoned buildings for these little girls. But when you bring in psychics, you're in probably the most desperate place you can be. And I, I just want to say this about psychics. I, I, I believe they really are part of a second wave of predators in these kinds of situations because they swoop down, as they did in our case as well, and they tell you that if you give them a little item of your child's, they'll tell you where your child is. And ultimately, what's going to happen if you're in California like I am, the psychic is going to say, I see rolling hills, I hear uh, running water, I see outbuildings of some kind. And what you've done then is you have described 99% of the topography in the state of North or in Northern California. Um, so the reality is, is that psychics never help a case. They always hinder a case. They give absolutely false hope. Or, as in the case of the famous psychic Sylvia Brown, they will dash your hopes and tell you that your child is dead, when in fact, as in the case of Sean Hornbeck, he was very much alive and only a few miles down the road. These two little girls were last seen at their family home, an apartment, on South Lake Park Avenue in Chicago. The mom, as I told you, leaves for work 6.30 a.m. Diamond and her older sister, Tionda, stayed at the home during the morning. And the mom, Tracy, discovered they weren't home when she came home around 11 a.m. Now, apparently, Tionda left a note stating they were going to walk by to a nearby school to play and a little store. As a matter of fact, Tionda was taking summer classes at Doolittle Elementary. Now, after we research, we find out school officials insist she was absent the day of her disappearance. Neighborhood children claim they saw Diamond and Tionda playing outside at lunchtime. Neither child has ever been heard from again. When I look at their descriptions, it's, it's brutal. This little girl, Diamond, was just three years old 
She was three feet tall, and she only weighed 40 pounds. She had violet and purple ponytails holders in her hair. She's African-American with big, beautiful brown eyes. She's got a tiny scar on the left side of her hairline, and she normally wears her hair braided in the back with four ponytails. That was her favorite. She's got beautiful, deep-set eyes. Tianda was 10 years old at the time she went missing, just 4'2", and only weighed 70 pounds. Green ponytail holders in her hair. African-American little girl, big brown eyes. She has a quarter-sized burn scar on her left forearm, and at the time she went missing, she had a scrape on her left calf. She normally wears her hair in long ponytails. They disappeared together. Again, the tip line is 800-843-5678. Listen to what her sisters say. She used like we'd be in the house. She had drunk from couch to couch, like steady running around the house. And she had these dark eyes that used to scare everybody. It was crazy. And Tiana, she like dancing. And she like ran her bike, but dancing was her favorite hobby, you know? Yeah. Just, she used to do a lot of stuff. Like she used to always be in gym, gym and she used to come in first place. She loved double dubs. She loved dancing. And she was just the outspoken one of us all. Even me. You know, I was the, we was laid back and she used to just go out. Now we head to Oakland, California, and the disappearance of Hassani Jamil Campbell. Take a listen to his parents at the time he goes missing. I would gladly trade my life now for his if something's wrong with him. I don't care. I give it myself for him. I just want him home. Don't let him become a picture of the milk garden box five years later that you never found. What do we know about the disappearance of Hassani Campbell? Looking at him, he's just precious. Five years old when he goes missing. Three feet, 40 pounds, wearing a gray sweatshirt, gray pants or shorts. Interesting, he had cerebral palsy and was wearing his braces. Last seen in Oakland with his foster father, Luis Ross. Now, he leaves the boy. He is going to meet the boy's aunt. They're the foster parents. And that's his biological aunt that Luis is engaged to. So she had, as I recall, a shoe store. And to get in, it's like a strip center. You drive around back of the store and park right outside the back door and walk in that way. So he pulls up in a BMW in the parking lot of Shoes, S-H-U-Z, that's a shoe store where she worked, and he was dropping Asani off with him and his one-year-old sister, Aaliyah. All right, to be with the aunt, Jennifer. So long story short, he goes in the back door to tell Jennifer he's bringing the children in, he goes back out. Hassani is gone. When he gets back out to the BMW, Hassani was totally missing. What I don't understand to Daphne Young joining us with child help 
on this very important day, Missing Children's Day across our country. If this child had cerebral palsy and was wearing his braces, how far could he get in that short of a time? Well, and not only does he have cerebral palsy, but he was wearing leg braces with Spider-Man imagery on it. So not only do we have this child that's disabled, but we have this child that's very visible and, and would be seen by anybody even trying to make it down the block. It's also heartbreaking that that's such a symbol of childhood and innocence and love of superheroes for a little boy who had a little trouble getting around. I just can't imagine he could have gotten far, and I can't imagine that he would have run away. This is clearly either an abduction or something else. You know, DFACS, Children Family Services, never had a problem with the couple's foster parents. They claim the couple conscientiously looked after Hassani's medical needs. He was a student at James Leach Elementary at the time he went missing. Police, of course, immediately, Mark Class, impound the BMW. They take Aaliyah away, put her in protective custody. They search, pursuant to warrant, the foster parents' home, the car, everything they can think of. No clue, Mark Class. You know, Nancy, I think I I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oakland has a a very real crime problem. There's no question about that. And in response to that, CCTV cameras uh, surveillance cameras have been put up all over that city. It's hard to find a location where you're not going to be surveilled by a camera, except the back of that shoe store. That's the one location in that vicinity where there are no surveillance cameras whatsoever. And so to think that this guy is going to go into the store to say he's bringing the children in and, and instead of just bringing the children in and then coming out and finding Hassani gone is absolutely ludicrous. If it's going to be a kidnapping, I think the kidnapper would be drawn to the one-year-old, very healthy little girl much more than to little Hassani. And if little Hassani had somehow gotten out of the car and tried to run away, he wouldn't have gotten more than six or seven feet in the time frame that this guy, Lewis, gave. So a lot of attention was focused on this man immediately, as well it should have been. Well, another thing, Mark Class, just as you and I would have done immediately, when he went missing, police promptly brought out tracker dogs to the back of shoes s-h-u-z the shoe store where the aunt the foster mom worked all right now hassani this little boy on with braces on his legs disappears vanishes in the middle of a very busy business district crowded with people nobody saw anything Okay, now that doesn't surprise me because when you try to steal a kid, you drive up, you stick him in the car, you're gone in 45 seconds, it's over. But this, Mark Class and Daphne Young, tracker dogs immediately could not find Hassani's scent at the site where he was supposedly last seen. Now, Daphne, this did not come into evidence at the Scott and Lacey Peterson trial, but did you know tracker dogs? followed Lacey's scent all the way from her home where she was believed to have been killed but the last place she was all the way to the marina at the san francisco bay nobody told the dogs to do that okay they followed her scent all the way to the san francisco bay some tracker dog evidence did come in but not that evidence But I know that to be true. And immediately after Hassani goes missing, the dogs don't smell a thing 
it seems very suspicious. And there were family neighbors who said they hadn't seen little Hassani about two weeks before his disappearance. So they have him, I believe, last seen at a Fremont Walmart. And the neighbors are saying they haven't seen this little boy. And clearly this was out of the ordinary. So I find it hard to believe that he was even there with uh, tracker dogs being unable to find him and weeks going by without little Hassani being seen because of his special needs. He probably needed a lot of extra help to get in and out of cars. So this is a very odd thing. You know, you brought up something very interesting. Daphne Young with me with child help on today. Missing Children's Day across our country. Mark Class with me, founder of Class Kids. Mark, what she is saying, um, think about it. She's right. That child, Hassani Campbell, this beautiful little boy with braces on his legs, had not been seen by anybody except the, the foster parents for two weeks. And you can't blame the school because this was August. August. He hadn't been in school so it's not that the school didn't report him missing for two weeks. The last time we think he had been spotted was that August the 6th at a Walmart store. That was it. How does that hinder the investigation, Mark Class? Well, it puts two weeks between the last time anybody saw Hassani and law enforcement's ability to be able to, to locate Hassani. And Hassani is still completely missing. One of the problems, and another one of the problems, Nancy, is they brought the search dogs out, and the search dogs were all unable to find the scent. You're then left in a situation where there is absolutely no place you can search for Hassani. Where could that little boy be? He could be any place on the face of the earth. This child missing from Oakland is classified as endangered missing. Just five years old when he seemingly vanishes into thin air, just three feet 40 pounds, gray sweatshirt, gray pants or shorts, white arch support braces with Spider-Man logos on a poor little baby. He has cerebral palsy. He can walk, but he cannot run or jump. Um, he's an African-American male, brown hair, beautiful brown eyes, and he speaks with a lisp. Hassani Campbell, missing. The tip line, if you know anything about the disappearance of Hassani Campbell, 510-238-3641, 510-238-3641. Joining me right now, Daphne Young, Cheryl McCollum, and Mark Class. Let's go to Nashville, guys. Tabitha, last seen by her family, 7 a.m. Her father wakes her up. It's April 29. They live there in a little home on Lillian Street in Nashville. She was watching TV. He goes to work. Now, she was supposed to get on the school bus that morning at 8 a.m. at 14 in Biscabel Street. Witnesses saw her, more than one, which in my mind takes the father out of the mix. Witnesses see her walking to the bus stop, okay? She was reading some papers as she walked. She was not in a hurry. She was not looking for anybody. I got to tell you something, Mark. That reminds me so much of my daughter, Lucy. John David is the mayor of Funville, okay, Mark? Lucy is always reading something her mind is a million miles away in some story she's writing or she likes to draw she likes to read I can just see this girl Tabitha Tudor just precious 
walking to the bus stop at 8 a.m. People saw her more than one, as I was saying to me, that takes the dad out of the mix. But here's the, here's the twist. Tabitha never got on the bus, and she never got to Bailey Middle School just two miles away. The parents don't know a thing until that evening when she doesn't come home. They find out she was missing from school, and they immediately report her missing to police. Okay, Mark Class, can you even imagine getting the perp getting that much of a head start from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m.? Why didn't the school call the parents? Well, uh, that's a that's an issue that needs to be addressed, and it really needs to be addressed in every school in America. That when children don't show up, the parents need to be notified immediately. And I'll tell you why, Nancy, because a and this is an interesting factoid here, a third of all abduction attempts in the United States occur on school bus routes. And they occur on school bus... Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me let, me let that soak in. Sure. Mark Class, whoa, you just taught me something. I'm going to write this down. Hold on. One third of child abductions... Okay, go ahead. I'm writing this yeah, down. Uh, Jackie, please get this. One third of child abductions, what now? So a third of all child abduction attempts occur on school routes. And that tells us something, Nancy. That tells us that if we know that fact, we can cut, we can cut abductions in this country tremendously simply by addressing that singular issue. And we can do that in a variety of ways. We can do that by having neighbors watch the children on the routes, by doing some kind of a round robin where there's always a parent watching the kids going to the routes or going to the bus and coming home from the bus. We could have that as an elderly project for a, a, an elderly home where you don't have to do something. You could go high tech and put surveillance cameras along those routes. And if we were to do that, we would be able to prevent situations like Tabitha's or so many of the other children that we've talked about over the years that if you'll look back, you'll see that they disappeared either going to school or coming home from school. There are set patterns. Predators understand that. They're able to plan for it, and they're able to do things uh, in stealth. You know what, Mark Class? You make so much sense. I did not know that statistic. Nancy, I got that from the... uh, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Whoa. Daphne Young with me uh, with Child Help Organization. Did you know that fact? I did not know one-third of all child abduction attempts occur on a bus route or on the way to school. It's true. And one of the big problems is that in addition to not safeguarding the areas where children are, which Mark Class is 100% correct, we should take the onus off the child and do our duty as a community and create safe routes so that every step that a child takes is secured. And also we should put some prevention education in the schools as well. So children learn body safety, internet predators, what to do when being groomed. You know, we do a lot of stop, drop, and roll for fire safety. It should be the same thing for their personal safety. This Tabitha Daniel Tudor's case was very personal to me because every case means a lot, but she's a dead ringer for my own daughter. She would be the same age today. I think about every milestone that my daughter has made with her dirty blonde hair and her cat-shaped eyes, and she's just like Tabitha, and her name is Katrina. And I think about the graduations and all the things that these families are missing, the proms, 
the life milestones that a parent has to go through who's lost a child, and we think about just some basic cameras on a bus ride and a little body safety, it's heartbreaking. You know, when you say she's a dead ringer for your daughter, can you imagine what these parents have gone through all this time that they have been trying desperately to find their daughter? Guys, we're talking about Tabitha Tudor. She was last seen on the way to the school bus. Now, this little girl had just turned 13. She was just past 12. No history of ever having run away. She was a straight A student with perfect attendance. Perfect attendance. She had never missed school before. Active in the choir at the Eastland Baptist Church. No evidence at all. She even had a little boyfriend. As a matter of fact, she was so excited. She was supposed to go to Six Flags Amusement Park in Louisville two weeks after she disappeared. And she was so excited about her upcoming trip. We're talking about Tabitha Tudors out of Nashville, Tennessee, missing. Take a listen to Nashville Detectives. If we get it out there and the right person sees something at the right moment that knows some little piece, it could solve this case. It's going to take someone that knows something coming forward. This really upsets me, Mark Class, because when she first went missing, cops treated it as a runaway. Why does that keep happening? I always hear that this one or that one is treated as a runaway, and then they turn up dead. They have not run away, Mark. It absolves law enforcement of a responsibility to look for the children. What they say is if the children, and they did this in Polly's case, right? They had a, two eyewitnesses to the, to the kidnapping of Polly from this character with the knife, yet they still thought she had orchestrated her own disappearance and was, in fact, the runaway. It absolves law enforcement of responsibility. If the child ran away, then it's the parent's problem and not their problem, or at least that was the thought back in the day. Things have changed now because of human trafficking and the vulnerability of runaway children to human trafficking. But it is so easy for them to say that they don't listen to the parents. They don't want to hear the evidence. All they want to do is somehow get away from it so that they don't have to look for that needle in the haystack. You know, they've looked up sex offenders. They've looked up uh, boyfriends and and relatives and husbands and in-laws of relatives Police searched the logs of computers at a local library where Tabitha had gone to the library. Nothing. Turned up nothing. They researched a guy, Martin Tim Boyd, arrested for trying to lure an 11-year-old girl into his car a few months after Tabitha disappeared. Nothing. That was a dead end. Nothing really connected him to this case. He's been taken off the suspect list. Now, uh, then, a trucker reports a possible sighting of Tabitha in Linton, Indiana. It was a girl with a man and another teen girl. The girl looked anxious and afraid. Later, the trucker realized she resembled a the girl on a missing persons flyer. That girl was Tabitha. A hotel clerk in Linton saw a girl resembling Tabitha. Same town and reported it. Neither sighting was confirmed, but Mark, I find that very coincidental that a trucker thinks he sees her, and then at a local hotel, they think that they see her. What about that? Well, you know, Daphne said that she looks a lot like her own daughter, and I think that Tabitha 
looks a lot like my own daughter. I mean, they're just little girls that, that, that bear resemblance to each other. The problem with that kind of a tip is law enforcement oftentimes can't track it down. People can say easily, oh, I saw Tabitha in a car heading the other direction on the highway. Well, there's nothing that can be done with something like that. If you have a picture of the child, if you have a location for the child, if you have some kind of physical evidence that law enforcement could go and put together with this child, um, then you can find out if you're dealing with a credible tip or not. Otherwise, uh, it's just something that may be out of somebody's imagination. You know, I was just listening to Tabitha's dad. When little Tabitha had just turned 13, went missing from her Nashville neighborhood, time has passed, but the parents, Bo and Deborah, have not been able to move on. The dad was saying, Mark, I went to work. I left at 7 in the morning. I told her, baby, get up. And she said, okay, dad, I'm up. And that's the last time they saw her, says the mom. Tabitha gets ready, goes to school walked to the school bus, which was one block away, and she never came home. We don't know what really happened, just that she went toward the bus stop and never made it to the other bus stop. You know, the mom says she would always say, Tabitha, don't sit out on that corner by yourself. I'm just imagining a little girl sitting alone at a bus stop. What do you make of that, Daphne Young? Well, one of the most terrifying things is you mentioned tracker dogs. And those tracker dogs eventually traced her scent to an alley, a place that Tabitha's buddies and friends said she would never, ever go alone. Like you say, she was that A student, that reader, that more solitary girl. And what one of my horrors is that, you know, once that scent is lost, one of two things happened. This little girl was either killed or she was taken to another place. And one of the most important things we do is never stop looking. You've mentioned that Tabitha's case doesn't get a lot of press these days. We can never stop looking for these little girls and boys. They could be tied up someplace. We've seen with Elizabeth Smart that kids can come home. They can be brainwashed. They can be kidnapped, but they can come home. And I hold out hope for Tabitha. I hold out hope that she wasn't killed, but that she was kidnapped and that there could be a reunion at some point at some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Nancy, um, Tabitha's circumstance is almost exactly like J.C. Dugard's circumstance. Yet 18 years later, J.C. Dugard showed up alive. So there is always hope. Guys with me are two not only very dear friends to me, but colleagues in our crusade to help find missing children. Daphne Young with Child Help with me, Cheryl McCollum with the Cold Case Research Institute, and Mark Class. To reach Child Help, go to 800-4-A-CHILD, 800-422-4453. To reach Class Kids Foundation, 850-525-4807, 4807 if you need help with a search or rescue. Today is National Missing Children's Day. I pray that one day we don't need a national day to remember all of our missing children, that they have all been found and brought home. 
Nancy Grace Crime Story signing off. Goodbye, friend. Did you know a recent law can leave your personal data exposed online for anybody to find? If you've turned on the news lately, you know the Internet has created a dangerous new world. It's time you take back the power by using a new website called Truthfinder. Have you been issued a speeding ticket? Received a lien from the IRS? Did you forget about an embarrassing social media profile? That info may already be online. Truthfinder can help you find it. Truthfinder searches millions of public records, assembling the data together in one report. Members get unlimited searches, so you can also look up those close to you and make sure they're not hiding something. Visit truthfinder.com nancy. Enter your own name. Get started.